I guess when we talk about a complete person, you know, my, my feelings on it are that it's always a work in progress. So, you know, being complete, you know, I would probably say it is never something somebody really achieves. Yeah. Um, because if, if, if you think you've arrived, then, then you're kind of probably behind the eight ball or you don't have that awareness. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, I guess the best place for me to start is to probably start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born in Los Angeles, California. Um, my mother was from Colombia and my, my father, my biological father was from Spain. And so I was, uh, you know, first generation immigrant and, you know, never, never really felt any of the, I guess, the, the, the stigma of that. I never, you know, I never even realized what any of that was growing up. So that that's kudos to my mom for, for how she raised me for not ever making me, I never felt any of that. Um, so I, I was raised, you know, to the age of six in California. I, I have some, for whatever reason, if it's pictures or what, I have vague memories of that, which was, you know, my mom and I living in a, in a garage out back that was renovated on my grandmother's, uh, property. And, uh, I just remember the couch being able to touch both sides of the wall. That's how big the wow. the garage was for, for my mother and Man. I, but I remember it being some of the coolest times of my life. So it was home, it was home. And, yeah. and the way, you know, the way that you're brought up, you know, and, and how involved your parents are has a lot to do with, a, you know, that, I guess those memories, you know? Yeah. So my mom ended up uh, getting remarried and uh, remarried to my stepdad, um, who was from Kentucky. So, you know, and you sit here and you think about, okay, I got Colombian, I got now Kentucky, you know, (laughs) and oh, by the way, we moved to Georgia. Mm. So, (laughs) so I got, I got a quick, you know, just perspective as far as how big the world is. Cause you know, I, I'd been traveling to Spain. I got on a plane at the age of six years old by myself and flew from California all the way to Spain and, Man. uh, how my mom did that and was okay. I don't know. Cause I'd never stick my kid on uh-uh. it. She, that, she, she must've been okay with it. So, but yeah, so I, I've been to Spain and, uh, had the chance to do that at a young age, see that culture, come back to Georgia you know, my stepdad and I, he was, uh, he was raising, raising me now in a blended family. And we, we had some hard times. I mean, my, my stepdad and I, we weren't, you know, by any stretch of the imaginations on the same page, man. We, we had those traditional fights that you hear about from, you know, a stepdad and, you know, we just didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. And so that was tough on the family, especially my mother. Um, but I was going to a Christian school. So they put me into a Christian school in fifth grade here in Georgia. Yeah. Here in Georgia, um, Cumberland Christian Academy. And what was cool about that was, is I ended up and it was the weirdest thing because I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, they talk about, you know, of course, you know, it's a, it's a Christian school. They're teaching you about the Bible. And, you know, I don't, recommend punishing any kid with scripture verses. I mean, that's a terrible, I mean, from my perspective, like, Hey, you're going to write these scripture verses, you know, and I still remember like reckless words pierced like the sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Like I still remember that because I had to write it a thousand times, wow, you, know, thousand times. you know, just because my teachers, you know, they were like, you talk too much. You're too, in-, you know, I won most inquisitive in fifth grade. 
And I didn't even know what that word meant, but that's what that's what I got, which is, you know, obviously you're curious and you ask yeah. a lot of questions. So, you know, in fifth grade, I, though, I remember writing that scripture verse and writing that down. And I ended up getting kind of like the itch of like reading the word in scripture. And I really felt like for the first time, like, you know, kind of that Holy Spirit kind of coming into my life in a way that I felt really passionate about it. So I got into, you know, a, a good sense, a good foundation early on in my life as far as that stability of my faith. Um, even though I was still doing what normal chucklehead kids do in middle school and, and even in high school and even to this day. But I had a I had a good understanding about what I, I wanted to what I wanted to do, what direction I wanted to go in my life. <clears throat> so fast forward a little bit into middle school. I'm playing ball. I'm starting to get interested in that. I grew up playing baseball. So I understood team dynamics. And I want to come back to the whole inquisitive that that award that I won for, mm-hmm. for being asking questions and uh so playing sports my stepdad was involved he was always encouraged that was our connection with sports so you know everything else was pretty tough but that we connected on and uh so we're you know we're, we're doing our thing through middle school and uh end up going on some mission trips i got to go to tampico mexico and so tampico mexico going into my freshman year or eighth grade year i go to tampico mexico and it was crazy because at a time when you're young and you're like, you know, the world owes you something, right? Because you're young, you know everything, you know, these people need to get out of my way. I've I got things to do kind of attitude is, yeah. is how most young adolescents are. I go to Tampico, Mexico. I get there. The poverty is crazy, right? We end up meeting this kid named Philip who's got no shoes on. The asphalt is so hot that I can't take my shoes off. But he's walking around barefoot, you know, just his feet are used Dang. to it. So we end up giving this kid like, you know, the, the girls take him to the bathroom and give him some space to take a bath. But he's, he's probably eight, eight or nine. There's like a ring of dirt around the tub, just how filthy this kid is. You know, we end up wow. basically adopting this kid for this trip. You know, we just love this kid. So our goal on, on the mission trip is to do puppets and dramas. You know, that was our that was our purpose there is to do puppets and dramas for the community and try to witness and stuff. And yeah. So they take us out to this wasteland. So we get out there one o'clock and it's all these young kids. We get on the bus, we get off the bus and literally you see trash as far as you can see. And there's no one there. And they're like, okay, y'all set up. We're like, okay, why are we setting up in the middle of a waste field at one o'clock in the afternoon in Mexico? And so we get off the bus, we start putting things together. And all of a sudden at one thirty, you see all these dump trucks start rolling in to dump the trash that they picked up that morning. Mm-hmm. So when the trash gets dumped, you look out there and you start seeing these man-made manholes covers start popping open. And you start seeing these people that live underground out of the sun, out of the heat. They've built these little underground huts and stuff, things that they live in. And they're popping out. They're, they're popping out like crazy. Holy to go, smokes, man. To go, to go rummage through the, the new trash for food and whatever else they need. So they were living under the they wasteland. They were living under the wasteland. Wow. Wow. So you talk about an experience. I came back home and I, I my parents laugh about it because I came back. I said, OK, I'm going to cut the grass every day. I'm going to I'm I'm spoiled. I'm rotten. I, what do you guys need from me? You know, and that lasted about a month, probably. But, <laughs> but I was I mean, I just felt like, holy cow, we don't know how lucky we are. Right. Yeah. So those experiences coming up through high school just really, really shaped 
a lot of my perception and, and feelings about certain things. Um, and, and my grandmother, I, I need to mention her too, is my grandmother and my mother, but, but particularly my grandmother, she, her first language was not English. So, you know, she's here in the country, she's here in the United States. She's having to work hard to, to speak English. She learns the language. Um, she's got a middle school education and, you know, here she is. She's she's making it. She's making it right. So she really had a huge influence on me later on as an adult. I really appreciated that drive. I bet. Yeah. You know, I was just like, you know what? There's no excuses. You know, she doesn't have a retirement. She doesn't have a pension. She doesn't have anything set up. But here she is, you know, moving from California to Georgia with us, cleaning houses, finding a way. She, she's got language barriers. She's got education barriers. But she's it's, it's no excuses. Yeah. And, you know, today what's crazy is that she's got her house paid off. She's got money in the bank. Nice. She, she, she takes her time cleaning the houses as she as she feels like she needs. And uh, and she spends so much time giving back to the community. And so for me, you know, when I think about leadership and I think about, you know, be you know, you mentioned being intentional, you know, if you let life come at you, you know, you're, you're going to be always reacting to things Yeah. instead of saying, you know what, I've got more control here than, than I give myself credit for. I'm going to take a, take a hold of this and, and make some things happen. That's good. So, you know, so a lot of these little things were, were really starting to shape who I was and what I was about. And the sports really helped me out too. I had a great group of guys around me, you know, great group of people around me. That's important. You know, who, who you who you surround yourself with. I don't care what people say, how how much willpower you have, how much I mean, even being intentional. The people around you that you put around you, there's a sense of accountability there that you can't replace. Hey, yeah. You know, no, no amount of willpower is going to replace that. You, yeah. You need that accountability. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm totally on board with that, dude, because, you know, I told Blake that the other day, you know, guys like uh, friends of ours, like Scott Worthington, the race director for The Revenant, he came out and spent a few days with me at my house. And it was like, just like when Scott left, like I had so much energy. I just, I just wanted to, you know, I want, I like, I just felt like I could go uh, conquer the world. And it was yep. because of, of just his company. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just him being around me. So, you, dude, you're spot on with that. That's so important. And you know what's crazy? To that point, you have <laughs> you can you can have the opposite. I mean, you guys have been around people that are negative or, you know, sit there and just suck the life out of you. You know, and and that's why I, you know I tell my kids the same thing. I mean, choose your friends wisely and and to count yourself lucky if you got one good friend. Cause yeah. I mean, there's a lot of buddies. I got a lot of buddies, but, you know, uh, I can count on one hand how many real good friends I've got that I can count on. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's so that's a, such an awesome point, Brian. And there's no other guest. No other guest has brought that up yet on the podcast. But you want to talk about feeding your soul, your mind, will and emotions, those things that that drive you. Um, mm-hmm. Man, you you can feed that soul so much by just surrounding yourself with the right people dude that's an awesome intentional thing to do and i apply that in my life too but it's an awesome point bro well and and there's a good uh andy stanley's a local pastor here he's well well known and renowned for leadership development stuff but he said something that i love he said you don't have to lead yourself by yourself 
And, yep. and that, and yep. that's true. You don't, you don't have to, so many times we think we gotta, we gotta do this on our own. And the truth is that's not at all what's intended. No, you know? And, uh, so I think choosing those people wisely and I, I was fortunate through high school to just have a great group of people around me. Um, you know, we did the normal stuff kids do all the time, but you know, I definitely had a core group of people that yeah. were, were good for me and even adults. I mean, I had some adults pouring into me that I was very lucky to have in my life. Yeah. So I, I end up, you know, doing good at basketball. It was my passion. I ended up going, uh, working hard. I went to a small school, so getting a scholarship was kind of tough. So I had to actually do a little bit of the recruiting myself, um, creating some stuff. My parents put some money into creating a, uh, a little recruit video. Ended up going to some camps. I ended up going to Union College uh, for a semester on a on a scholarship, and I missed home so bad, man. I was like, it was only six hours away, but I was like, golly, I need to get back around people I know. Yeah, and, I've been there before, bro. Oh, uh, that was tough. <laughs> that was tough. Yeah, yeah. And I ended up transferring to Georgia Southwestern. A buddy of mine was down there, one of those good friends of mine, and I was going to play basketball down there. And when I came back for summer break, I met my wife and we met at Cowboys of all <laughs> okay. places. Oh, yeah. You know, we, I don't know where Cowboys yeah. is at. Yeah. We met on at Cowboys. I don't think it's called that anymore, but it's this country line dancing bar, you know, and it was teen night. And anyway, it was crazy because I had been on a couple dates and, uh, I don't know what it was, man. I just, I couldn't connect with anybody. I was like, and her nose is too big. Her, her, eyeball, her <laughs> eyeballs or something's wrong with her eyes. You know, it's just like, you couldn't, you couldn't figure it out. And, uh, I just remember meeting when I saw Ashley, I was just like instant connection and, uh, we hit it off. And I mean, it was, I mean, from the, from the minute we, we touched base, we were just, we were locked in, man. And, uh, it was just crazy. So we, we, I never went back. I never went back to school and uh, wanted to stay there with her. And we ended up dating for about a year. And uh, crazy thing is, we, you know, we had we were expecting and we ended up having a child. And uh, you talk about manning up. I was making about one hundred twenty dollars a week working at Radio Shack, calling out sick once a week. <laughs> <laughs> and you want to ask me about I'm the most untech you know, tech savvy person, you know, and, and so when you have somebody asking you about a USB, whatever you call it, I'm like, uh, you need to talk to that guy in that sweater over there, <laughs> you know, so the manager didn't like that a whole lot. So I ended up going to the back room, stocking boxes and cleaning stuff up just cause I was like, that's where I can be useful. But my, I, I'll say this, I was like, uh, what, what, what do you call it? Uh, when a bears, um, hybrid, I was in hibernation for, in, in terms of like, the passion and the, the drive, it, it really, I think, I think I was being blessed by, by starting early with a family, even though some people looked at it in my family, in my family, they they're like, man, you know, I hope you're not making a mistake. You know, you don't, you don't know what you want to do. You're starting a family at 20 years old, but I think it took that to, to liven my drive because I knew I had a purpose. Yeah. You know, I had to take care of this family and it wasn't there was nothing that was going to get in the way. And you knew it was time to hunker down. It was time to hunker down. And and of course, you know, we we definitely, you know, with our faith, you know, I, I prayed hard right on the spot when things were, were when I knew a family was on its way. And I to me, when when Ashley and I had that moment where we said, holy cow, we're, we're about to have a family. You know, this is fixing to happen. We're, 
and she caught, she made that call. I was in an apartment when she called me and told me, you know, that, that Bryson, my son who's 14 now was, was, you know, here, <laughs> I, we prayed and that was such a turning point for me. I really do feel like that that moment was a changing point in my life right there, right? I can remember sitting on my couch, having that conversation mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of giving it up and giving it there. And just things started to kind of happen in my life. You know, I went to Virginia while, you know, was making good money in Virginia for a couple weeks. Then got, that was tough being away from the family, ended up getting a job doing gutter installations that paid really good, you know, then got on the fire department. So insurance and all those good yeah. things. So things just worked themselves out, man. And ever well, since I will, then, it's just been good. I, I want to ask you, uh, Brian, what, so that, that choice to, uh, to, to become a fireman. I mean, what, how, how did that happen, man? Because I mean, that's a, that's a huge commitment. I mean, was that something that you had when you were younger or, or when, when did that hit you? Well, it's funny cause I never knew this, but all my basketball coaches were firefighters. Okay. My, I, I had three basketball coaches and all three of them, Dale Hudson, um, a guy by the name of Dick Skelton and Stony Bowles. One was, was a retired fire chief. One was, a uh, in the fire marshal's office and one was the athletic fitness guy for Cobb County. So what was crazy is these guys were just high character, passionate guys. I mean, I just could relate to them, but I didn't know their profession. So, you know, it was almost like a weird connection. And, uh, so when I was looking for the next step in my life, you know, these guys had been around, around me through sports. I was like, what about the fire department? And they're like, man, it's a great, it's a great profession. And I, I won't kid you. I mean, I didn't look at it and go, oh, man, I want to get in the fire service because I want to I want to be I want to serve the community and I want to save lives. And that wasn't my first, you know, love. I was like, mm-hmm. I need something stable. I want to pay. I want my insurance. I, that was I mean, if I'm being honest, that's exactly what my thoughts were. And then I fell in love with that. I fell mm-hmm. in love with the serving, the passion for the profession. You know what? What the 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 meaningful work that it yeah. brought that I, that fell in love with that through the profession. But the decision to go after that was really revolving around stability. Yeah. And I just was like, man, I got to get some stability for my family. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, you, you've, you've done so much. I mean, with you, you've worked yourself now pretty much to the top of the ranks, right? As a fireman. Yeah, so my my where I'm at right now is is what you would call kind of the number two in the the department. So yeah, it's it's kind of like the equivalent of the COO or you know the number two. So so yeah, I get to I get to kind of get the work done and stay behind the scenes kind of thing. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Well, I want to ask you. Um, I, I I was thinking about this question on the way over here, man, because um, I mean my view of firemen is you guys are are a bunch of alpha males, hard charging dudes. And, and you've got to be, you're, you're the one that those dudes are looking up to. Like you're the leader, like in a seal platoon, like you would be the master chief in a seal platoon in the Mm -hmm. position you're in right now, man. So, you know, talking about, talking about the body, just, just the the physical side, how important do you think it is to, to have, good a good strong body um even 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 from a presentation standpoint the way you look in uniform 
um, <clears throat> the way you can perform out on the field. How important is that to you as a leader to keep that si- that part of your humanity in check? Mm-hmm. How much value do you place upon that? Oh, it's huge. I mean, it, it's huge because it for a couple reasons. I think, you know, first impressions are everything. And, you know, you want to you want to. You know, especially in a situation when you're when you're part of hiring new people into the profession, you know, yeah. you're part of you're part of selecting people to come in and, and choosing the right people to, to get on the bus. Right. And if if that first impression of a guy coming in to your culture, to your environment is to see a sloppy or somebody unorganized or, or not put together, doesn't take pride in what it is that they do, mm-hmm. um, that that really can set the trajectory up for what, you know, this person's impression is of what whether you're credible or not. So if I'm sitting there saying, you know, we, we care about what we do, we take pride in what we do. But yet you sit there and you look at me and I, I look like I'm, I'm a hot mess. You know, there's not a real a, a lot of credibility there. That's so, right. That's right. So I think from that perspective, that's important. Um, I also think it's important to try to set the pace. I mean, my, my thing is, is that the leadership should always set the battle rhythm. You know, yep. Yep. it's it's the cadence that you, know, you, you want to set the cadence for the troops because there's going to be tough times. There's going to be hard times and, you know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be physical, a physical component. But if they if you can check that part off right off the bat, that's a given that, you know, you're, you're physically ready for the stress, for the challenges, for the, the, the demand of whatever it is, the job. Even though I don't physically fight fire anymore or physically get out in the field and hump hose or do any of that stuff anymore, I'm, I'm more in the administrative side of things. I still want those guys to know that I, I take a lot of pride. I care about health, physical fitness because it is something I care about for them. Yeah. 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 You know, so if if I'm sitting back there and, and I'm going to make concessions for myself now because I'm sitting behind a desk and it's like it, it's no different than shaving. Like right now, I don't wear, you know, the fire department, we we don't wear a. We don't have facial hair in the field because a lot of times they got to wear a face mask, mask yeah. and that seal, if it breaks, you know, it's just another issue. So, and plus, you know, you don't want anything loose or anything, yeah. but I, but I don't wear that anymore right now to keep my certification. I have to put that on, but I could get by with, I could get by with a goatee or if I wanted to, I could grow a beard, but could you look like Chad? I could, man, I could have that in a week. <laughs> I could have that in a week. I, I'm telling you, I'm, I got, I, I can shave at five o'clock in the morning to have that shadow by noon. (laughs) But, uh, but no, so I I think just trying to set that tone and that example physically. I love that. I I freaking love that you do that, brother. You're talking about it. I mean, just the facial hair. I mean, that, that, that's something that seems so simple, dude, to, to people out here that haven't been in the military or, or haven't, you know, served in the capacity that you have in the fire department, public service. But, yeah, I can guarantee you that makes a tremendous impact on your guys. The fact that they know that, yeah, you could grow a goatee, you could you could do that, but but instead you choose to show up to work every day clean shaven and lead from the front, man. Yeah. I freaking love that. And and that tells me a lot about what kind of leader you are and how rare that is, man. Yeah. Um I'll share a story with you guys. I've never really shared publicly but you know when i my second seal platoon uh i was downrange and we had a 
we had a chief that was uh he was sloppy man he he was soft and um he was he was pretty good from a tactical standpoint but he just did not have that physical presence about him mm-hmm. and you knew that if if stuff got hard like yeah he was going to do the best he could but he still was that wasn't going to be good enough because he didn't put enough into his physical um you know part of his 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 humanity to to be able to carry that load mm-hmm. and dude that pulled us down as yeah. as that pulled the whole platoon down man and yeah. uh that was hard dude it, it it lowered morale and and you know from a leadership standpoint i think that's so important to just like you said lead from the front and that starts just like you said with that with that appearance that first you know that in, that initial meeting how you look in your uniform man that's so that's yeah. so important man and i want to ask you what are you doing as far as in, in your day to day as far as physical training goes i mean do you what do you do specifically what's your what's your routine look like and how do firemen train dude i mean cuz you've got to train i imagine specifically for the type of job that you do so sure well i mean of course for for me, my training's evolved because mm-hmm. of my, my, you know, well, one, my, my age and, you know, what I'm doing now. So, and, and so for those reasons, and I, and I, and I think it's going to continue to evolve, you know, what I do in terms of preparation, but for the firefighters, I mean, those guys, there's guys that are just, they're beasts. I mean, they, they go out and they do a lot of CrossFit and they're, they're PTing like crazy. They're, they're just doing some high rep stuff because they know the work they're going to do. They do some things in 20 minutes that would kill people, you know, just physically from a physical yeah. perspective. Because they're wearing gear, they're wearing 60 pounds of gear, and they've got, you know, uh, PPE, personal protective equipment yeah. that doesn't let that heat out. And so you talk about having to monitor, you know, pace yourself and and be smart about making decisions at the same time and and thinking quick on your feet. I mean, all that's got to be taken into account. So yeah. from my perspective, the firefighter wants to take take the challenge of physical fitness out of the equation. Right. So if you've got all these yeah. things in the air, you got to deal with. Let's get the physical side out of the out of the way. Awesome. So those guys actually, you know, do a lot of a lot of good stuff in the field. For me personally, you know, I was there in my 20s and did a lot of basketball, a lot of sports. Uh, I, you know, I was one of those guys that. In my probationary year, which is like your your first year in the firefight as a firefighter, your rookie year, I got it. I got it behind an accident and was about to be late to work. Man, I was freaking out, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And luckily, one of the lieutenants was in in front of me, and so we we drove in. I was like, "Thank God, he's like my guy that I can validate." You know that I was yeah. by, behind a wreck. Otherwise, they'd be like, "I don't care what you say, man. You're getting <laughs> written up." I still got chewed out, but. That day, I said, you know what? I'm never going to let this situation happen again. So I'm going to get to work an hour early and work out and then be there and, and do what I need to do. So for, for the last, awesome. you know, 14 years, I've, that's my been my routine, even Man. to this day. So I get to work about an hour and a half, hour early. Now I run. I try to run. I try to stretch. I try to do some CrossFit um, for about, a, you know, 30, 45 minutes of, of just running and doing that. So th- that's a big part of it. Um I'll be honest with you. I think it's a, I think it's a physical component too, but I'm not going to call it meditation, but quiet time, Yeah. you know, getting your body centered in a way that gets you ready for the day. Um, I think that's, that, that's a big part of what I'm trying to incorporate and actually get better at. Cause I, I, 
I'm a hard driver. I'm a results oriented kind of guy. So I can get distracted super easy by the work. But I've really tried to make a conscious effort to to stop and slow down and pace myself. um, Give myself that time to kind of self-reflect on some things. So that's a part of now my routine in the morning. That's something new when I say it's been evolving. Um, Yeah. And I hadn't gotten this part down, but what I eat, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I love I love food, man. But but everybody wants to talk shop over over lunch now at work. So like for me, it's like, man, I got to I got to get this under control. But <laughs> um, but no. So I, I think for me, it's definitely about, you know, trying to create some routine, but also remind yourself that you need to evolve in your in your physical fitness. Um, and Chad, I wanted to get come back to what you were saying, too, about the the. Your first appearance in your physical. Yeah, go for it, brother. There, there's something that's that's really hit home for me that I like to to talk about at work and with the guys and even outside of the fire service. You know, your credibility. Like we talk about leadership. Like, what's the currency for leadership? You know, that's what we we talk about. This we say what what's the currency for leadership and how do you make deposits into your leadership bank account, right? Mm-hmm. So we we say the currency is credibility, right? So your credibility is what feeds your leadership credibility. All right. And the only way to make those deposits and build that account up, because you're going to need to build it up with people is to have quality interactions and make quality decisions. Cause you make, I don't care who you are, you don't have to have bugles on your collar. You don't have to be a master chief. Everybody's a leader, everybody. Cause they're yeah. leading themselves. That's right. Yeah. And so how do you do that? Well, you make good decisions. You make good decisions. You make a thousand of them a day. Am I going to wake up this morning and go run three miles? That's a decision. Yeah. Am I going to sit on my butt and not do anything? That's a decision. You know, when I have quality interactions, am I going to be respectful to the people around me? Or it doesn't mean I have to get along with you. It doesn't mean that I have to agree with you. But am I going to respect you? Am I going to work through those situations? So from my perspective, if I'm physically looking like we talked about, like a slob, I'm losing credibility. That's right. Yeah. I'm I'm losing that credibility. And and to be honest with you, we're we're all gonna if if we're talking about it as a bank account, I look at it like this. I'm gonna make mistakes as a person. You're gonna make mistakes. Oh yeah. So look at that mistake as a withdrawal, right? And that's okay as long as you got funds in there, right? Just don't overdraft. Yeah, but if you don't have any funds in there, if you haven't had those quality interactions and made those quality decisions, then you're gonna be you're gonna have some insufficient funds. Yeah. When somebody when you make a mistake with certain people, so so that's a that's kind of the analogy that we talk about. And from my perspective, that really comes into the whole, you know, how how you carry yourself. Yeah. You know, and uh, and why why let the physical fitness piece get in the way? Like that, I'm not going to say that's an easy, for some people that is tough, right? For, for not everybody wants to be an athlete. Not everybody is an athlete. Not everybody finds that as the number one priority. But I would say that that is a easy, that's a tangible results oriented thing that people can grab hold to. Like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm going to try to lose a few pounds or I'm going to try to at least carry myself professionally. Yeah. That's not, that's not too tough. So yep. that's a big one to me is that credibility, man. Yep, I agree 100 percent, man. And I think I think another thing that goes along with that, Blake and I talk about a lot of times, man, is if you're, uh, you know, if if you're not feeling good, if you're not feeling strong and, and you you know, you, you don't have you're not getting good sleep and 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 really taking care of your body and eating the right things. It's hard 
to get out and make those interactions and 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 you just you don't you don't have the energy to get out and, and make those interactions and relationships and impacts and all those things so mm-hmm. it's uh, it's all so complex man um, well, i but, know for me like with with physical fitness <laughs> you know when i go out and do something it doesn't give me arrogance but it gives me confidence you mm-hmm. know it gives me confidence that i just accomplished that mm-hmm and that that I'm capable of doing it and when and when you can be confident when you can talk to someone in confidence in what you believe in it I think that adds to your credibility whether that like you said whether they agree with it or not yep. you have you have your beliefs and you have your feelings on different topics and when you can have confidence in things I think it adds to your credibility and the physical fitness portion of it to me gives me that sure well yeah. and if if your if your body I mean it's one of for for some people it's the most sacred thing to them is this is this That's is right. who you are your body right and so how you're taking care of that i mean that that kind of says right away a lot about the individual yeah. and i'm not and i'm not talking about guys that are just you know they're ripped and they're this and i i'm just talking about people who you can tell that they're they're intentional about their health and their phys- and yep. what they do, how they carry themselves, you can see that right away. Uh, General yep. McRaven, uh, the I think he was a retired special ops commander several mm-hmm. years back. You know, I th- he's the one that did the famous speech um, about make your bed. You know, yeah, he talk- okay. yep. you know, he talked about that was one of the things. You know, start off the day with an early win and make your bed. Yep. You know, it's yep. easy. And so I feel like that's that's a good analogy from your physical fitness is it's an it's an easy win start with just taking care of yourself yeah i love that dude i freaking i absolutely love that and that's that's some of the that's some of the best gold that we've had on the body side of stuff ain't it blake yeah yeah Yeah. that's awesome man um one thing i really want to talk about man is the uh the smoke the smoke diver school so everyone I've, i've shared this bio with a few friends of mine and everyone that reads it they're like smoke diver that sounds cool so (laughs) give us uh if you don't mind give us a quick rundown on that no and in fact uh, just the fact that i'm going to talk about it's probably going to get the whole smoke diver cadre you know (laughs) wanting to listen to this thing so yeah yeah so the georgia smoke divers and now it's in several states but it's it's basically a self-survival high intensity you know program for and it's it's a mind body soul kind of thing as well it's strong in mind and body um, and, uh, David Rhodes, who's a, is a chief, um, in Atlanta, he, he's running the program now with a, a great group of guys, but you basically, you, you got to qualify for it. It's, it's fire service members that go and they qualify for this program. They take 30 or so people and they put them through a very intense and grueling, uh, six days of just hell. Wow. And, and so the, the morning starts at 7 a.m. and you're PTing in full gear and, you know, it's very intentional. The guys are pretty intense that are the lead instructors. Mm-hmm. They're very intense, but it's on purpose. And uh, they push you to the max and you're going to break one way or the other, either mentally or physically, you're going to break. And they want you to. They want you to find that place that you break in this training. Uh, like for me, for instance, uh, you had two cylinders you get two cylinders and they fill this building that's two stories tall. At least this is when I went through the program and they spaghetti these hoses like you wouldn't believe. And they fill it full of hay smoke. 
And what they do is they line you backwards. This is on Wednesday, so this is on hump day. And the, the hoses are different lengths, so you don't know how long each hose is. They stick you on the hose, and there's other people in there, and you can't lose contact with that hose, and you have to make sure that you keep your air going the whole time. For me, I ran, I was 22 when I went, so I didn't have very much experience in the fire service at all. I started, actually, I'm sorry, I was 23, so I'd only been in the fire service for a year. And I went in there, you know, cock strong, ready to just, I mean, just picking up hose, trying to make my hands go through all that spaghetti, and it's it's heavy as crap. Well, I come out of that first line, and you remember, you got to do all five lines with two cylinders. I came out with 800 pounds of air, which is barely anything, and my low air alarm was going off, and the guy comes out, and he goes, ooh, you don't have very much air left. And my world just shut on me because everything up to that point physically in my life I'd conquered with ease. I mean, and I was killing the PT in this program. It wouldn't bother me. But I wasn't working smart. I wasn't working experienced because I was just a young buck trying to make it happen. So I I just got mentally just shot out. And they hooked me up with a second cylinder, man, and I bailed. I couldn't do it. So I, I didn't get to complete the program. I got kicked out on Wednesday. And uh, that was a huge gut check for me. So I got, I'm driving home and I just remember thinking, dude, I'm so ticked off. I can't believe I just you know, bailed out on that. It's the first time I'd ever stopped doing something. I signed up for the very next class and that class was 10 times harder than the class I did because I knew the punishment right. I was fixing to get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I was working off of adrenaline the first one. Now the second one I knew it was fixing to happen. Yeah. But they do all kinds of self-survival skills. So you do search and rescue. They do the, the the they do a lot of research and studying on what kills firefighters and what ways to combat that, how to have control over your mind, you know, in those circumstances, how to work as a team. Uh, they run a whole incident command. They use NIMS, National Incident yep. Management System. So it's a very well-organized old machine. And what's crazy is it's almost completely voluntary. Everybody comes back and basically comes back and helps teach the class, teach wow. the program. So this is, this has been going on for, for decades. And, uh, like I said, I think they got it in Indiana and some other States, but, uh, the guys that are putting it on their, their, their friends and they're some of the best firefighters out there. And their, their main mission, um, is really just to get guys, you know, mentally and physically prepared for what could be one of the most challenging situations yeah. in their life and to overcome it. So it's a it's a it's a pretty pretty badass class. I mean it's that's awesome, dude. Yeah, it's it sounds so it sounds like that's the hell week for firemen. Oh. Yeah. Did you read their creed, Chad? No, no, I didn't get to read it. No. Hey, let, let me read it. It's good. I, yeah. You know yeah. what it is. It says if I persist, if I continue to try, if I continue to charge forward, I will succeed. I will not hear those who weep and complain, for their disease is contagious. Wow. The prizes of life are at the end of each journey, not near the beginnings. And it is not given to me to know how many steps are necessary in order to reach my goal. I will never consider defeat, and I will remove from my vocabulary such words as quit, cannot, unable, impossible, failure, and retreat, for these words are words of fools and cowards. When my thoughts beckon my tired body homeward, I will resist the temptation to depart. I will try again. I will make one more attempt to close with victory, and if that fails, I will make another. 
When others cease their struggle, then mine will begin and my harvest will be full. Holy crap, dude. That just fired me up, man. That's awesome, man. It's tough. Oh, my tough. gosh, brother. Makes me want to go be a fireman. Oh, yeah. Give dude. it a shot. What's cool, too, man, is like you get you get assigned a number. So, like, in my class, I was class 38, and I was the last class down in Forsyth, Georgia. But the guys that – uh, the guys – the last day – is kind of the you got to put these nuts and bolts together. You search a whole building, you got to put them in the right order, and you can't see anything, and you got the hay smoke and all that good going on, and it's it's tough. But you get you get a number assigned to you that stay it stays with you. And uh, what was funny was is a guy bailed and had to go back to the back of the line, and I landed the number I wanted, which was 700. So I'm I'm smoking oh, over 700, you know, which I I. Well, one, it's thank God because it's an easy number to remember, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I just thought that was cool. I was like, okay, thank cool, yeah. man, seven hundred because I had seven awesome. for for complete, you know. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I just that's I thought awesome. that was interesting. I love that dude, and and I think what's so cool about that the story that you told us, uh, Brian, is talking about how you're gonna reach that point that you're gonna break either physically or mentally. And it's and, it, and it's not necessarily it might not necessarily be the point that you break, but the point that you just realize that you're not going to be able to complete this task, mm-hmm. you know, with what you have, you're not going to be able to complete this task. And then and then how do you react to that and how do you take what you what you have to work with and, and just do, do make the best out of the situation that you can and see that that's cool that they that they implement that in the smoke diver school because in buds it's the same deal man uh they will constantly give you timelines that are completely unachievable mm-hmm. they'll constantly give you tasks that that are so monumental that you just you're you know you're not going to finish them or or be able to complete them to a satisfactory level but you but you learn through those experiences okay well i'm going to take what i have and make the best out of this and do the yeah. best that i can that's such an important lesson in life man no it is and and you know what what's cool about that look i mean looking back on it now to your point about recovery you know I, the best thing that ever happened to me was not making it that first time you know yeah. here i here i am 22 23 years old you know, if I would have gotten through that program the way I, I was looking like I was going to the first time, you know, I would have never hit a wall in my professional career. And and to be able to hit that wall and then come back and overcome it just meant it meant that much more. And looking back on the guys that were, were hiring or, or, you know, the, the folks that are in the fire service now, it's to me one of the coolest things to see in young people or or anybody that's trying to develop strong leadership um, mentally, physically, whatever you want to call it, is people who know how to recover. You know, because yeah. if you can, if you don't get your way, let's just say like in corporate, you you're you're been busting your butt for six months with a proposal and you're trying to push it forward and you 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 want this thing to happen blood sweat toil and tears and and you bring it to the boss and the boss looks at it and doesn't give it half a glance and says no nah, man we can't do it right now we can't do this right now we're sorry we appreciate it how you respond to that is so important because you can respond to it and derail yourself 
derail your career or you can recover, take something from it and potentially have more opportunities present themselves down the road. So for me, um, recovery is huge. And there's a great book out there on how to lead when you're not in charge. And it talks about how to leverage your influence when you lack the authority. And to me that, I mean, we all have a boss. We all report to somebody. We all talk to somebody. I've got a boss. So none of us are really in charge, you know, in terms of that, that definition. So for me, it's like, how do you leverage what you have you know, in terms of what you're capable of, your expertise, your skill set, leverage what you have when you lack that authority. Don't say, man, I can't I can't make an impact in anything I'm doing because I'm not the boss. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, uh, look, yeah. I mean, I think a common theme I've, I've heard just putting things together is basically control what you can control. When you're going into a fire, you want to take the physical aspect out of it because that's something you can control beforehand. Yeah. And so and, and the same with here, if you're not in charge. Make the most of what you do have. Control what you can control. Yep. And let the rest work its work no, itself no, that's out. No, no, that's exactly right. Yep. Well, and and I think that transfers that lesson transfers into into business and and all aspects of of life, man. Because it's the same way with with business. So I started a landscaping business and. You know, I didn't have I didn't have a pile of money to go out here and buy all these new trucks and and these this fleet of lawnmowers. And, and dude, the first job I ever got uh, was it was a, a hedge trimming job. And, and I had never even trimmed hedges before. But uh, <laughs> but I went out and bought me a hedge trimmer and I was like, OK, you know, I'm going to take what I have, what I can what I can learn and, and I'm going to get this done. And it's the same thing in business. You don't have to start, you know, with 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 everything. Um, you just take what you what the resources that you have right there and you start with what you have and, and then it'll grow from there. Yep. And yep. it's the same thing with three of seven project. You know, Blake and I. We both had we both looked at what we had. We had two thousand dollars a piece to spare. And we said, okay, this is what we have. We're going to put this money in this pot and it's not much money. But, you know, we're we're going to see what we can do with it. And that's that's so important, man. And people get overwhelmed all through life and in business and in their careers because they think that they have to have everything everything under the sun before they launch this project or this business. And that's not the way stuff works, man. Yeah, no. And that's a good point. And, and to be honest with you, like you mentioned about the reading, trying to read five books, you know, a year to me, the whole, you know, feeding your soul, iron sharpens iron. Right. So to me, I try to, I try to, I try to learn from people that I think have, have taken something or learned something that, that, would feed into maybe an experience. You know, I, it's like secondhand smoking, right? I might not get to meet this person ever that wrote this book, but I can gain some experiences from the things that they might want to share through this reading. And and really, honestly, you can do that with anybody you meet. You yeah. know, there's an opportunity to learn something and take something away from anybody or any conversation, or even if you're not the one talking, you're just sitting and observing. You know, I sat in a room today at work where I think I might've said three words and there was a handful of people in there and there was a lot that I took away from the conversation, not just what was, what was said, but the body language, you know, and, and from my perspective, the political acumen that you build in being in those settings, 
helps, you know, for my profession, helps me to understand the other side of the coin. So I think it's having be, being intentional and having your eyes open to that, you yeah. know, because you could walk right by an opportunity and not even realize it because because you're focused on the wrong thing or you're not aware. Right. You know, tunnel vision. Your tunnel vision. Yep. Yep. I got a, I got kind of a personal question to ask Brian and you don't have to answer this by any means, man. But, um, you know, I, I mean, I'll, uh, for me, I'll share uh, about myself, you know, just some of this thing, some of the things that you see and that you come across in, in the, in, in the line of duty, not only in my line of service, but in your line of service, you know, the, the bad things that you see and that you come across, man, what if, what have you done to, to, to manage that aspect of, of your life and your memory and, and to kind of still be able to, to go like, because it, it amazes me how guys like you firemen and how police, how they can be out in the field all day. And there's no telling what you guys, there's no telling the carnage that you guys see out there. Mm-hmm. And then you got to come home to your family that evening, man. Like that blows my mind that you're able to do that because we can go on deployment and we're totally disconnected to our family from our family for, you know, six months at a time. And then, you know, we get a little decompression time in between where when we're flying back into the States, we've got a little break where we can talk to people and work stuff out in our heads and then we can integrate back into the family. But you guys don't have that luxury, man. I mean, can you tell me anything about that? I mean, how, sure. how, what have you done, man? Yeah, no, I mean, PTSD and, and a lot of the other things that are going on in our profession, police as well. I mean, it's a ser- it's a serious thing for sure. And and I think that the topic and the conversation and the training has definitely uh, it's picked up. I think that people are recognizing that it's a serious thing and that. You know, we're, tr- we're trying to figure out the appropriate ways to let people, you know, like you said, decompress and give them resources that they need. I think all that is great for me personally. You know, I'm blessed that I love what I do. And I've always had that mindset that, you know, no, no matter how crazy. And again, this is back to when I was online. And, and I, let me say this, too. What's crazy is, is that. Even in the line of work that I'm in now as the deputy chief, the stresses that I face now that that can affect the family are I would are, are very similar to what the stresses could be by visibly seeing something that that is not good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the So people that are in, in any profession, the stresses on life, the things that can impact somebody, you know, it's crazy how it can really affect people. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's not. I would definitely not just say that it's just narrowed down to something traumatic because traumatic by definition could be something different for somebody else. You know, yeah. I could see I could see a car wreck and not blink an eye where somebody else could see the car wreck and think that it's the yeah. worst thing that ever happened. But for me, I've always looked at it like, man, I'm here to help and do the best I can. Yeah. And that just saying that out loud has always relieved mm. me, relieved me of feeling like I w- it's my fault. You know, it's always, I've always felt like, OK, I'm here to do what they called me to do what I could do. Now, the burden of being ready and prepared to, to handle the situation. Now, that is a burden. Yeah. And that's what's driven me to try to be excellent at what I do, because I know somebody's counting on me. It's accountability. It's accountability. Yeah. yeah. But it's but I, I'll, I'll also say this, too. I think that anybody who anchors themselves 
to one thing is missing it. So what I mean by that is like, and I've just now really kind of learned this in the last couple of years in my life with my kids and my wife, I don't want my identity to be consumed by what it is that I do in my profession. As much as I love it and enjoy it and want to be excellent at it, the best remedy, the best medicine for handling those difficult situations that you might encounter every day is having a solid home situation, having a solid faith situation, having a solid, you know, being anchored in more than just one thing. Because Mm -hmm. if that thing goes south, then you might as well sink to the bottom with that anchor, you know? So I gosh, I freaking love that dude. You know, so I, I think yeah. kind of diversifying your, <laughs> your, your situation as far as where your identity is associated yeah. with is key. Um, when I was, when my daughter's, my daughter is 12, she's fixing to be 13. So this would be almost 12 years ago. So she was around the same age as this little girl. We got a call out and I was online. I was on an engine. I was a lieutenant out there. We got a call lady that had a little baby. They had given it a bottle and they went and took a shower. This, this lady boyfriend, girlfriend, well, the baby had down syndrome and the, the bottle, you know, they put it in the crib with a bottle and it aspirated and basically threw up. And so they come running out of the house cause the baby was unresponsive handing me the baby when we show up on scene. And, you know, I just always remember and the baby ended up dying. And we, when we got to the hospital and I rode in the ambulance and we did something called an IO where you do it's it's intraosseous, you know, IV basically through the you do it through the bone. Oh, yeah. And so I was trying to do that. That's the first time I'd ever done it. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's a kid. It's all those things that are going through your mind. But all I could think about was my daughter was the same age. So I remember that like it was yesterday. So, yes, it's 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 a memory and it's something that I remember. But I don't I don't know that I leave that situation saying that was my fault. I leave that situation saying, did I give that situation everything I had? Did I give it my best effort? Yeah. And thank God that, you know, that I have my daughter, you know, so so it's just kind of how what lens do you want to look at things through? Yeah. yeah, it's kind of I think kind of important, but no, I, you know, that's not discarding anything that anybody goes through because it's it is tough out there for a lot of people. Some oh, yeah. people see things that I mean, especially the military, man, I, I couldn't imagine what you see and how you have to deal with it and push that down and get back and do the, the next job. Uh, it's it's got to be tough, especially if you're disconnected from your family, like you said, for a long period of time. You don't have that relief. Yeah. You know, so, thank you know, for me, I've just been blessed that I've got you know, family that's been there and been supportive and it's not to say it doesn't put you in a bad mood and you might not have a a bad day or a bad week, but, uh, but you definitely don't want to anchor yourself to one thing or, or those days will be even harder. Yeah. But I mean, when I was policing and things that I would see, it it would, it would almost gave me motive because it relates so close to home, the things that you run into, because it could happen the same in your house, but it, it, it gave me motivation to say, hey, I don't want any of that going on yeah. in my house, and, and you almost realize how easy it could happen, and I'm, you know, it, it gives you an alert. Yeah. And and it's a different side of firemen versus police, but I mean, you're still seeing terrible sure. stuff, and and yeah. the same, just like with that baby, you know, you knew, I mean, you yeah. know, not to give her a bottle and yeah, go yeah, get yeah. a shower, oh, but yeah, yeah. you know, there's things you see other people's mistakes that you can learn from. Yeah. Well, and that's a good that's a good thing too is. If it's changed me in any way, it's probably made me more protective 
Yeah. And probably change some of my behavior as far as how I parent and maybe even yeah. how, how I look at things. Cause like I, I could be in a movie theater. In fact, this has happened. I've been in a movie theater before two guys come in with book bags and hoods on their heads and sit down. And I, I like, I'm automatically in that mode of like, yep. okay, you know, they get up, walk out, they leave their book bags. I follow them and not, not to do anything other than just to see like who, 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 who am I dealing with here? Right. right. And my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not down with that, man. That just seems <laughs> unusual to yeah. me. So it, it's changed. It changes you in that way. Maybe, you yeah. know, from, yeah. at least for me, it has, yeah. it's, it's made me com- a lot more alert and sensitive to those things, but yep. everybody uh, deals with it different, I guess. Well, I think, I think the biggest for me, man, the biggest takeaway in that, in the way you answered that question is grounding yourself in, in different, in different things. That way, if that one thing goes away, then, you know, your whole identity doesn't fall out with it. And so I, so I didn't even know that I, that I was doing that until Brian just mentioned it. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of what's helped me is, is so I've grounded myself not only in in my you know identity as a former seal but also as a husband um and also in in my faith in god and also in ultra running and so if any i don't say if any one of those things went away you know obviously if 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 i lost my wife or or something like that it would impact me tremendously but at least i would have some other things there to, yeah. to help propel me forward. That's right. Um, and I've, I've never even, I, I've never heard someone articulate it quite as well as you just did, Brian. So thank you so much for that, brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was perfect, man. And, and I think, uh, you know, this is a good time to transition and talk about the spirit. So the spirit, as you know, Brian is the part that, I guess separates us from other animals. It's the part of us that realizes that there's something bigger than ourselves. Um, it's the part of us that when we go out and we're standing on top of a mountain and see a beautiful sunrise, we can appreciate that more than, you know, in a, on a different level than anything else, um, on this earth. Um, so for us, it's our connection to God, our father. Um, and for, for other people that may be different, but, what have what have you done and what do you do to to feed and nourish that spiritual side of 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 yourself well that, i mean that definitely goes back to to my faith as well um and i kind of walked you through kind of how my upbringing was and you know it definitely was from an early age rooted in in my faith in christ and you know my belief in the fact that you know, there is more to this world than, than being in it, you know? And so having that kind of frame of mind, you know, seeing it from that perspective, it does kind of change how you look at things. So for me, I I think that that's probably, it's almost like there's a, there's a war, you know, we talk about a war against spirit and flesh and, and, and it's not, you know, the things that we work hard for on this earth, from my perspective, you know, I think there's a verse, a scripture verse about that. They're, that they'll turn to rust and, and yeah. you know, they're basically temporary things. And yeah. to, in, to invest that time into those things is a mistake. Yeah. So 
for me, and this is something that, that is a, is a daily, uh, struggle and a daily effort is to, to spend that time feeding the soul. And, and that to me is, you know, having that relationship with Christ, building, building that intimate relationship with him, it, that it's not just a, well, it's just like a friendship that you have now. You know, if every time I came to you, I needed you to help me move or I needed you yeah. to help me put some siding on. You know, every time I come to you, I'm asking for something. It's not really a friendship. You know, yep. it's it's a we're, we're basically having a transactional situation. Yep. You help me. I help you. And I don't think that's what, you know, God's looking for. He's looking for an intimate relationship with us. And in order to do that, um that is sitting down and spending quality time with him and feeding the soul, you know, which yeah. is eternal. Yeah. So for me, it's just a matter of just carving out the, the right time and spending that time and, and not always asking for something. Yeah. You know, and so. It, and is that the same time every day, Brian? I mean, how does that look for you? How much time? When, when do you when do you try to make that time? I, I find that. You know, for me, the morning is a good time because, like I, said, I mentioned, when I'm when I exercise and I get into the office, there's net and there's usually not a lot of people there, so I try to do it then before okay. my day starts. It tends to help me get my day going right. Um, but a lot of times I listen to something in the car. You know, Charles Stanley, I listen to something there and try to, you know, get some input there. Or, you know, if it's praying with my kids at night, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, it doesn't, and it doesn't always have to be that, you know, formal sit down pray. I mean, it literally could be just cutting grass and, you know, just thanks. Thank you, Lord, for, for another day kind of thing. And yes. so I, I think people get wrapped up in the formality of it. And it's really, like I said, it's just like a buddy. I mean, you just need to feed the soul, feed the spirit. Um, and know you don't and know that you don't have to be articulate. You don't have to be the guy that has it you know, that it's real ritualistic where it's got to be every morning. It could be as simple as just saying, God, you know, I'm, I'm, I need some help and I'm looking, I'm looking to build this relationship and I want to, I want to be closer than I am now. And I, I, I think all he's asking for is somebody that's willing, yep. you know, and, and if you're willing, he can do the rest. It's just like, uh, I always like telling my kids about Moses, you know, Moses had a speech impediment. You know, Moses didn't feel confident in going and, and basically being the ambassador for, you know, getting his people free and all that. Yeah. But, you know, basically God was like, look, I'm not. What are you talking about? You know, I just need you to be available. I'll take care of the rest. And so from my perspective, you know, telling my kids, you know, you think you got to speak right. You got to look a certain way. You got to act a certain way. No, man, God's just looking for you to be willing. He'll take yeah. care of the rest. You know, so. To, in order for for us to build that confidence in that situation, you just have to be willing yep. and open. Well, and, and I've always said that the pressure to succeed is not on us. The only pressure that's on us is to act because you look at the manufacturer of any product, the manufacturer of this Mac computer right here, they didn't make it with failure in mind. They didn't make it and say, when Blake buys that thing, mm -hmm. it ain't going to work. No, yeah. And God made us the same way. And so, just like you said, you just got to make yourself available. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And it and and it's if you think about the world that we live in right now, you know, even the things that you guys are talking about, as far as your your mind, body, and soul, and and you know, there's an all out attack on all that from my perspective. Yeah. 
you know, the, the culture that we live in now, I mean, think about it. It's, you're looking at it 24 seven social media has got you, they're messing with your mind because you got to have it now. You got to be, you got to constantly be affirmed. You got to constantly be liked. You know, there's more suicides in teens. The I think I read something one time that the stress level on kids that are in middle school is the same as it was in the 70s at psychiatric hospitals Gosh. because of the pressure that's on these kids to, to be and look and act a certain way because it's what they see every day. Jeez. You know, gluttony. I mean, there's there's I mean, ha- you got to have it now. You want it. Go feed yourself. Put it on credit. It doesn't matter. So there's an all out war. On the generation, I mean, my kids' generation, and my kids are so sick of hearing me talk about it, but I'm always like, look, guys, you're the next generation of warriors. And it's yeah. it's a battle that I've never seen before. Yeah. So you guys got to get ready for this. And the only way to get ready for this is to understand that if you're different, you're probably doing the right thing. That's right. If people yeah. look at you in school and they say, man, you're that kid is different. That kid is he doesn't like to do this. He's He's, you know, you feel like you're sticking out like a sore thumb. Consider it a compliment. Yep. You know. So. Yep. Yep. I agree, man. That's that's a that's a solid point, and I want to hit you with a with a difficult question, Brian. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's difficult from my from my from my mind because I haven't quite processed this myself yet, and I want to hear Blake's input on it too. But um, so. The jobs that we have all done, Blake being prior law enforcement, Brian, uh, a, a, a lifetime in, in service at the fire department, me in the military, being surrounded by a lot of times the worst things in life, the, the worst situations, the, sometimes the, the worst people and, and, the, and that type of stuff or, or, or people at their worst, not the worst people. But um, from a spiritual standpoint, man, how do you how do you stay how do you stay right in your relationship with God while being constantly surrounded by those things? And then do do you have any explanation of of why all that bad stuff is in the world? Um, what's your take on that? I guess it's a multifaceted question. You can answer it however you want, but I haven't processed it in my own mind. I mean, do y'all have any input on that? Well, I think I think to yeah, like to answer the this in a couple couple ways. So the first part with how do you how do you handle maybe being in you know around situations that you know aren't real positive and you know, maybe even flat out negative and just down and dirty. And, yeah. and, you know, how do you, how do you lead or how do you operate in that environment? Professionally, I'll say that I'm, I'm very blessed and lucky to be in a situation where I do work with some stellar people that, you know, keep, keep it pretty positive for the most part. Now, at the same time, you know, you do look and you see, you know, the, the challenges of bureaucracy that, that are just naturally out there. You see in the, you see in the news, just all the negativity around public safety. I mean, it, it's sad to see how divided so many people are, you know, and that is, yeah. disappo- that is disappointing. But going back to your faith, you know, if you, if you're in the word and you, you have an understanding, none of this is surprising. 
right? Good none point, of this is none, nothing. None of this is surprising. So, from a Christian's perspective, I almost see this as that you know you just got to put your your the full armor of God on every day, and you approach it with humility and service, and you know, and looking at it through the lens that God charged us to look at it through, which is to love your brother as yourself. And if you can do it that way, if you can look through things that way, it takes the sting out of some of the nastiness that's going on out there. So I think, you know, God never Christ never promised that 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 it would be easy and that it would be that it would be great. But he just said he would be with you and that and that when he says he'd be with you, from my perspective, what I take from that is that you always got somebody there that not only can relate to you has been there and done it. Yeah. I mean, talk about somebody who was charged with things that were inaccurate about you. I mean, these kids want to talk about, Oh, well, they're talking about my reputation. This, so false accusations, falsely accused, spit on physically abused, completely taken out of context, unpopular, you know, all those things that are happening, the political nature of it, you know, these people that were hypocrites making accusations that you knew were hypocrites. And oh, by the way, having the power to make it all right yeah. and not choosing to do it. That to me sets the tone for how you go, you know what? That's how I deal with that. You know, I don't even have the power that that he had in terms of making it right, but he chose not to because it wasn't the right time. That's pretty that's tough. That's yeah. a that's, that's a tough that's a man right there. So yep. for yep. me to sit there and, and see some guy that's not rational and he's maybe being a, a jerk about something or doesn't get it or doesn't know why we're doing something. If you're if you're anchored in the right place, man, you see that you, you just recognize it for what it is and you do your part. And and I think it just yep. it makes it it makes the situation easier. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers the, the question. No, but totally, that, man. That's kind of. And I, trust me when I say that's a lot easier said than done. Oh, I mean, because yeah. there's days where, of course, you know, you, you get wrapped up in it. But um, what, when you and, and it feels good when you can put those lenses on and look at it through that, because when you do encounter a situation like that, there's a piece about it. You're like, you know, you know, it, it, it'll be all right. You know, yeah. I, I just got to make sure I covered my, my ground and I did I did my part. And, you know, the rest is up to that individual or, yeah. you know. God, that's so. right. Yeah. I mean, for I think I think a lot of it is like you said, how kind of how you look at it, because like when I was when I was policing, honestly, every day that I got up to go into work, I was excited about it. Like I, I was excited about the domestic calls mm-hmm. or or the wrecks or the even the defects calls with the kids because they were all opportunities that I knew who I was and how I would handle the situation. And if it was another officer, they might handle it the same way or they might just completely ruin it. But I felt that if I could leave it better, Mm -hmm. like you said, basically you can't fix everything, but if you can leave that house or that call Mm -hmm. and know that you left the situation better than it was when you got there, you can't fix someone's total life. Yeah. Being a cop. But that little bit might be the momentum. That might be the energy that Scott gives Chad where he says, dang, I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. That might be what you give that little kid or that single mom or even dad or whoever. I mean, of all the people that I took to jail, I mean, I probably I could count on one hand the the ones that I had to fight. Yeah. 
And it was just because of how you talk to them and how sure. you treat them. If you treat them with, with respect and, and see them as, as a spirit, mm-hmm. you know, that, that a lot of them, like the drug addicts, they're not, they might, they made some bad choices in the beginning, but now that's like a prison to them. Sure. You know, yeah. they're not, they're not really choosing to do that. That's, they're not choosing not to do it either, but it's got such a. I mean, those guys, I would I would arrest the same ones week after week, and they, you know, I'd talk to them. I say, man, what are you doing? You yeah. know, why, why are you? And they're like, man, I don't, I just, I can't kick it. Yeah. And and you know, they would be, we'd have some deep conversations on the way to jail, and yeah. you know, they'd be in tears on the way there, and um, well, and and to me, like. One, one thing that helps to kind of overcome a lot of the situations that you brought up in your question about dealing with people or situations. One thing that's helped me a lot, too, is is going back to kind of the, the mental side. You know, talk about reading, reading books or, or getting educated or, or trying to to be curious. You know, yeah. I, I told you I won that that inquisitive award in fifth yeah. grade and I look back on it. I'm like, man, I, that's a compliment because I am curious I yep. am a curious. Yeah, I think that's a, a good thing for leaders to think about, too, is you need to have a curious mindset. You need to ask questions. Um, I'm going to butcher the statistics, so don't I hope none of your viewers look me up on Google for this. But <laughs> but but the concept is what I'm going to try to get across. You know, a lot of people look at, you know, the situation with the government as far as subsidies and things that people are getting and they're getting welfare and all this kind of stuff. And everybody gets all pissed off. Oh man, this is ridiculous. People living and don't get me wrong. I, I, I think we have a broken system in that way, but this is what was crazy. So I go to this leadership program and, and it was on that packet I sent you. It was leadership Cobb. I went to a program called leadership Cobb. And it basically what they do is they send you through this leadership program where you get to be around all these community leaders and you get to learn the power of, of the community in terms of all the agencies and all the resources available in the County. And I was like, man, this is amazing. Well, they had one guy come in and it was a social services day. And we basically had to walk in and or we we played a scenario out where we basically had a certain amount of money in a certain in a family. And we were we were going to end up being basically in poverty through the whole exercise. And we had to learn how to to live basically on the small amount of money we had with food stamps and bus fare and all this kind of stuff to kind of give you insight into what the life living in those circumstances huh. felt like. And one of the things that we learned was. That if you make a certain amount of money and your boss wants to give you a raise and you're you're living on some type of, you know, welfare or, you know, subsidy, you lose you lose out on that money. So, like, let's say you get one hundred and fifty dollars for childcare, making seven dollars an hour or five dollars an hour, whatever that looks like. Well, if I give you a raise to ten dollars an hour, you're going to lose that hundred and fifty dollars for childcare now because you're making ten bucks an hour. So think about a person who has a kid who who's getting that help for the for their child. And now you're trying to help them by giving them a raise. They don't want to take it. It's a punishing. It, yeah, because yeah. now now they're going to lose out on that subsidy. So for me, it's a broken system. So I tell you all that to say, you know, I had this perception. I had this opinion of all that and going through this situation and learning and, and experiencing it and having an open mind really opened me up to go, Holy cow, man, there's a, there's, there's a deeper issue here. You know, there's a deeper situation. So if I were to ever encounter somebody again under those circumstances, 
I don't know that my first reaction would be to say, you know, oh, man, you know, that person's just taken from the government. That's ridiculous. It, it, it's really it's a broken system. Yeah. And, and these people are trying to do the, a lot of them. I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of them are trying to do the best they can to, to take care of their circumstances the best way they know yeah. how. And so just having that perception, I heard somebody say uh, something about ignorance. I'm going to butcher this, too. But, you know, stupidity is kind of like not not seeking out the the facts. Yeah. You know, ignorance is just not being aware of the facts. And and you have the option of going and learning those facts and educating yourself. Yeah. Being stupid is just you don't you don't care to know it. Right. You know, so. From my perspective, I was ignorant and was able to get myself to a place where I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And again, that takes the sting out of some of those situations because you're you're aware, you're understanding, you, you have a level of awareness of what's going on. So I think that's key is is having enough self-awareness to say, you know what, I'm going to take a step back and see where's this coming from. Yeah. You know, what's this coming from? Totally, man. Totally. Yeah. And. Something that you said that really hit me, Brian, was um, looking at looking at everything. None of this is a surprise. And and I can I can I can so relate to that, man, because when I got saved while I was downrange, you know, and I was in in some pretty ugly places and just seeing what's going on in the world and 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 seeing all this stuff around me. It wasn't a surprise to me because it's right there. It's yeah. right there in, in God's word. He And I'm not saying that I want to be careful what I say, because I'm not saying that we should just give up and just say, oh, well, it's going to happen this way anyways. Mm-hmm. Like we still have to try as best we can to make a positive impact everywhere we go. But it did help me in a sense that I, it wasn't a surprise that that's, that's solid, man. I I get that a hundred percent. I remember a specific conversation with Chad when I guess you, I don't know where you were, but I remember you saying if, if it came up on the news that a bomb just, you know, blew the entire white house up or whatever Mm -hmm. the example was, Mm -hmm. I really wouldn't be surprised. You know, he said, I, I would, you know, I might stand back at it or, or whatever feel bad about it but oh it wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me just because that stuff you know it oh, happens yeah. all the time now yeah. no well yeah and the, i mean it just just going back to scripture man it talks about you know how in in the i was just reading it and i think it's matthew 24 the other day where jesus talks about you know the the last days and he talks about how in the last days it'll be the same as the days back when when noah was was living before the flood you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. and so you can look around you today and see a lot of similarities between what was going on in the world back then and what's going on in the world today as far as from a moral standpoint and and poverty and and all that stuff so just the fact that we have we're grounded in that word and that it's not a surprise to us what's happening because we know it's coming Mm -hmm. um it's I think that that's helped me tremendously, man. So it was just it, it really struck me that you said that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, and, and for for you, Chad, like with the seals, I mean, I can't imagine the amount of training and planning and exercising that you guys did so that you never were caught off. 
You know what I mean? When, yeah. when you guys were deployed on a mission or whatever, I mean, the, the idea was that you guys were so well prepared that nothing you have probably guys, you guys had contingency after contingency after contingency to the point where the goal was, is that if everything w- went seamless, you know, no one, no one's sweated a drop, you know? And, and for me, I think I've even mentioned this in, in our faith as far as scripture goes is that you, you got to have a plan. You got to have a plan for yourself. And, and if you think that you can walk in your faith without preparation and planning mm-hmm. and exercising and all those things that you did as a SEAL, then you're going to have an unsuccessful mission because there's somebody out to kill you. There's somebody out to destroy you and yeah. ruin you. And that's the enemy. And that's the devil. And so if if you think you can walk just, you know, to me with with no sense of direction because it's just you're saved, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're setting yourself up for failure and you're going to get discouraged. And that's the cycle that he wants you in anyways. So you got to you got to go into it with a serious plan of attack. You got to be on the offensive and and be intentional about it from from all aspects that you guys are talking about. All these domains that you guys are referencing, you need to be touching those things and planning and preparing all those areas. I couldn't I couldn't agree with any more with a statement. Um, And that that's what's cool about, you know, three of seven is is our tagline is complete yourself. Complete yourself implies action. Yeah. You have to take the action to complete yourself. And it's the same way, like you said, if you think that you can just, you know, you, once you get saved and uh, and you turn, you know, whatever, yet, that you can just be lackadaisical. That's that's not wrong. It, it 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 still implies action. There's still work that you have to do on your own part. So I love I that. Man. And I and I uh, something that's hit me lately, too, man, is I want to be in the game. You know what I mean? I want to be in the game. I want to play. I want to, I don't want to be, I know I'm on the team, you know, I know I'm on, on, on the team in terms of my faith with Christ. I'm accept, you know, I've, I've accepted my life, but I, I don't want to be, you know, ineffective. I want to, I yep. want to be in the game. And, and I know that that means that, you know, for that to happen, I got to be listening. I got to be my, I got to turn the noise down in the world and turn the volume up in terms of what God has for me. And that's always competing yep. because, you you know, we're all working. We're all distracted. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's just that that's a big thing right now in my life is I, I just I want to get in the game. You know, I'm 36 years old. I'm fixing to be 36 and life is speeding along pretty quick. My kids are getting older and, you know, I got a lot of a lot of time and I I'd like to make a difference. You know, I'd like to get in there and do some damage. Yeah. So. Yep. Well, you're doing it. You're doing it right now, brother. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. Yeah. Yeah. We're playing the game right now, man. And well, guys, I guess we'll wrap it up on that note. Uh, Brian, dude, again, I cannot thank you enough, brother. What you've said here today has made a tremendous impact upon me already. So, um, yeah, if nobody else listens. You you did some some good. You did some awesome work, brother, because uh, solid, super clear, concise, super intentional, um, just really good points, man. So um, I'll give you the floor, brother. Anything else you anything else you want to say just to wrap it up? No, I think what you guys got going on is awesome. I think uh, 
I think anytime you guys can have conversations and get your thoughts out, out, out there for people to hear, it's a good thing and be authentic about what you guys are doing. Uh, you know, thank you, Chad, for your service. I mean, I, I, I didn't get a chance to hear your testimony, but I heard it was phenomenal. And my brother's in the army. I have a special place, you know, for the military. I'm a big fan of, of, you know, I love Secretary Mattis and, and some of the, the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I love watching those guys. I'm a dork about watching all that stuff. But I just have mad respect for for the, the folks in our armed forces and what they do every day because it's, it's a tough gig, man. And, and Chad, you know, you, you're – you're doing some good stuff, man. And Blake, I appreciate you having me on. And Oh man, thank you. you know, this is, this has been great. Yeah. I appreciate it. You guys have, have been awesome. So thank you. Yeah. The feelings mutual, Brian. Thank you, brother. Absolutely. And Blake, you got anything? Just thanks, man. Yeah. I know it takes time out of your day. You're a busy nah. man, but, uh, but th- this is going to reach a lot of people and, yep. and, uh, and you definitely, <laughs> definitely want ha- have some of the best gold in this conversation that we've had. So, yeah, for sure, man. Well, I'm well, glad I, 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 I'm I, glad I didn't bring it. it down too much. So, <laughs> well, I, and dude, there's there's so much else that we could have talked about. I mean, we got to have you on again sometime and and give you the floor again because I mean, we didn't even we touched a few points on your bio, but but we didn't we didn't nearly cover everything that Brian has to offer. So, oh, this um, was a scratch and sniff. We want the, we we want you to come back with the cologne. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I, my funny. only my only request is that the the wolf blanket be here next time I come. Oh, dude, so, we ain't getting rid of the wolf, man. Yeah, as long as that's here, I'm good. That's awesome, man. All right, guys, well we're gonna close it out. This is uh, three of seven podcast. We are out.